Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. In this episode, we are joined by someone both Whitney and I have deeply, deeply admired for many, many years, Marian Williamson. Marian is a best-selling author, political activist, spiritual thought leader. She examines the relationship between love and fear and how we experience the world around us. She's the author of one of my most favorite books of all time, A Return to Love, something that I keep by my bed and return to often. Please join me in welcoming the incredible Marian Williamson. Hi, Marian. We are beyond honored to have you on the Sakara Life podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Well, we start off every single podcast with a question around your mission, and I have no doubt this will be an easy question for you to answer. So what is your mission here on Earth? Why, why are you here? Well, when I think in terms of mission, I think of something that is a shared mission with everyone who is alive. The Course in Miracles says that we are all here to give love. So the form of love is not as important as the content. On a spiritual level, any time that you identify yourself with something that is different than the way you would identify someone else, it's not the deepest aspect of who you are. So somebody might say, my mission is to teach. Somebody else might say, my, my mission is to be a healer. Someone else might say, my mission is to be a great scientist or my mission is to be um, a great business person. But the deepest level is one in which I think we all have the same mission, because at the deepest level, I think we're all the same, same being. There is only one begotten son means we're all it. So my mission is no different than anybody else's mission. And that is to seek while I'm alive at this, while I'm alive, to actualize the love that is within us all. Mm. And to wake up every morning and do my best to be who I most essentially am and to stand for that. Now, the, the forms that that takes, whether it's that you're a parent or you're a writer or you're a podcast host, is just the container for the flowers, but the flowers are what matter. So that's how I think of mission. That's beautiful. I love the flower analogy. In fact, you have so many good analogies in your work that I want to get to, but can you give us a little background on how you got here, what brought you to The Course in Miracles? What is The Course in Miracles? Well, I was always interested, even from the time I was a teenager. I remember the first astrology book I saw when I was about 14 years old, and it was my first exposure 
to anything even slightly, you know, esoteric. And then I took, when I was 14 years old, my first philosophy class. So even when I was a teenager, I was so excited by things that were, you know, not just the traditional religious perspective. Not that there was anything wrong with the traditional spiritual religious perspective. I grew up in a conservative Jewish home. That's conservative Judaism, not conservative politics. But I had a sense of the more, you know, outside the box. So I was always interested whether it was the I Ching or Alan Watts or Ram Das or the more academic, anything of the higher mind. It could be I would study comparative religion in, in college. It could be Hinduism or Buddhism or Judaism or mystical Christianity or Christian theology or the I Ching and astrology and tarot cards. It was anything of the higher mind was always very fascinating to me. However, even though this was almost I wouldn't say obsessive, but it was a serious focus of mine. I noticed there was a distinct disconnect between all of that and my ability to live my life in a way that was aligned with those principles. I didn't know the how-to of it. Mm. But it wasn't like I wasn't trying. And it wasn't like the books I was reading weren't telling me what I needed to know, but apparently I wasn't getting it. And then when I was in my mid-20s, I was at a party in New York City, and there was a book on the table. And I just picked it up, and I guess now it's not so odd to see this, but at the time it was, when you see a book and it has no author on the front. So I'd never seen a book that had no author written, and it said A Course in Miracles. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I just picked it up, and I'm flipping through, and I saw the introduction. And in the introduction, it said, this is A Course in Miracles. It is a required course. Mm. I thought, what book refers to itself as required reading, you know? Now, when you read the course, you realize it's not saying that form of the spiritual path is required, but that we walk the spiritual path is required because that's all that's going on in life. So I was very fascinated by it. But the more I looked, the more I saw it was traditional Christian language. I'm Jewish. And I had studied a lot of Christian theology in college. It wasn't like I hadn't, but this was not school. So I was a little like, no, that's not for me. And then a year later, I walked into my apartment one day, and The Course in Miracles was sitting on my dining room table. And my boyfriend, with whom I had first seen the book, we had not talked about it for the whole year. But that very afternoon, I passed the apartment where I knew it was published and I said to myself, I want to get that book. And then I walked into my apartment. It was there. I was so shocked. And I looked at him and he said, I thought it was time. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, I was in such pain in my life. I wasn't thinking, well, what's the language? And then reading it, it becomes very clear. This is not the Christian religion. It is not a religion. The words, while tr traditional Christian terms are used in very psychologically oriented and psychotherapeutically oriented ways. So there's nothing there to offend you with, you know, this is not my religion. It's not the Christian religion. Can you talk about, that's so fascinating because I remember as a young woman coming up against that too, that I'd, I'd find things that I resonated with, but then it was the word God or the word Jesus that it came with such a story for me because I grew up in a, a traditionally you know, Christian household. Um, and it, it took a while before I understood what it meant for me. So how, how do you help people kind of unlearn maybe what they're seeking to unlearn 
And how do you help them redefine what God might mean or what do you think it means in the Course in Miracles? Well, it's not my job to do either of those things. I just talk about what the Course and books like that say. I have enough respect for my audience and I don't think they need me to do anything except make clear what these books say and then they do with it what they want. I know in my book, A Return to Love, in the introduction, I think I talk about the fact that when I first started reading the Course, I, because I'm Jewish, I was so fascinated by these concepts and I... (laughs) I had this naive thought that my Christian friends must sit around and talk about this stuff all the time. And they just didn't talk about it in front of me because I would be polite and, you know, no, don't want to talk about it in front of me. And I found that actually my Christian friends, when I said, oh, this Jesus stuff is so fascinating, were like, oh my God, what's happening to you? They thought I'd become a born again Christian. And I saw that Christians I knew were a lot more freaked out by the material than Jews I knew. I mean, as a Jew, I was simply taught nothing about those terms. I was simply told by my mother, we don't read that one, honey, we read the other book. So I didn't know anything. Whereas many Christians I knew, like yourself, saw those terms and had stuff on them. Mm-hmm. So it's almost been harder. But it's not my job, you know, no no proselytizing here. This is not what this is about. Certainly for me, I've never been trying to get a message out. I'm trying to get a message in. But if I live my message and I speak about these things, you know, uh, there was a writer named Arnold Patton, and he said, if you genuinely need to say something, there's someone out there who genuinely needs to hear it. So the way I've looked at it is I'm just saying, I'm singing my song. I'm saying what it brings me joy to talk about, just like you do on your podcast. You found a topic that it feeds your soul to discuss it. And I think clearly there is a hunger in the world today. It's interesting. The book that I just finished is called The Mystic Jesus, A Psychology of Faith. And I wrote it having been uh, contacted by a publisher. So it wasn't me going to the publisher saying, I want to write this book. It was a publisher coming to me saying, and it is a publisher that is the largest seller of Bibles. And they came to me and they said, the biggest denomination, first of all, the biggest religious denomination in the world, at least in this country right now, is the nuns, N-O-N-E. People, a lot of people had turned away, and I'm sure that this is partly what you went through, turned away from a lot of the religious doctrine of institutional religion, didn't want the dogma. But when they turned away from that, found, wait a minute, I didn't mean to throw away the baby with the bathwater. I didn't mean to throw away God. So now there's a hunger for the meat of the great religious spiritual traditions without the institutional walls that actually obstruct the genuine spiritual experience. And Jesus is certainly an example of this idea of freeing him from the confines of these uh, doctrinaire, uh, institutionally religious, dogmatic precepts. So I think that's what's going on. You know, the Course in Miracles is not a religion. It calls it a, a psycho- itself a psychological mind training based on universal spiritual themes. Hmm. And they are the basics. They are endlessly fascinating. You know, to me doing the Course, and it's a, it's a, as I said, it's a psychological training, and it's much like the yoga of consciousness. So just like you work on your physical muscles so that you can move, you work on your attitudinal muscles, you work on your spiritual muscles, your emotional muscles, your mental muscles with this, so that 
just like you're working on your outer muscle so that you can move, you work on your inner muscle so that you can be still and non-reactive. It's not a dynamic power, it's a magnetic power. And actualizing that within yourself, when we do that, you know, it's just like going to the gym. If you do it, it works. And the more you do it, the more consistent you are, the more you're training these muscles. Now, in the physical world, there's physical gravity. So if I'm not working on keeping my arms up, you know, right under here, it's headed down. Well, there's psychological gravity, too. There's emotional gravity, cynicism, anger, reactivity, negativity, controlling behavior, selfishness. So that's the gravity of the world. And just like you counter gravity on a physical level, you counter gravity on a spiritual level. Because as one of you just said, how do you unlearn? I mean, the thoughts of love are natural to us, but the mindset that dominates the world is a fear-based perspective that we're taught from the time we're born so that at a very early age, The Course in Miracles says, what is actually instinctive to your nature feels unnatural. Mm -hmm. And what is actually natural to your nature instinctively feels unnatural. So it's a, it's a psychological and attitudinal conversion. It's like putting a different filter on your camera from the eyes of fear to the eyes of love. And so what does it look like then to put it into practice, to go to that gym? What are some of the practices that we can do? to fight the gravity? Well, there are many different paths, right? There's one truth and many different paths. So I'm a student of A Course in Miracles, but A Course doesn't claim to have a monopoly on truth. You know, I think though that because these are universal spiritual themes, like I'm not a Buddhist, but I've read some Buddhism and mm -hmm. I can go to a great Buddhist lecture and still get a lot out of it because the themes mean a lot to me. So how do you do it? You find your path, whatever it is. So for instance, in The Course in Miracles, there's, there's the text and then there's the workbook. So the text is the intellectual ideas, but that's not enough. The workbook is the 365 days worth of meditation exercises. So you wake up in the morning and in mm -hmm. all the great religious systems that I've ever read about, there's an emphasis on the power of the morning. So when you ask, how do you do it? I'll tell you how you don't do it. You don't do it by going to Twitter, email, Instagram, Snapchat, mm -hmm. the newspaper, radio, or the computer when you first wake up in the morning. That's how you don't do it. You're downloading the consciousness that's going to dominate your day. So in the morning, to take even five minutes, there was a French philosopher centuries ago, I think, and he said, every problem in the world stems from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Nobody has any impulse control anymore. Everybody's adrenals are shot. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like when yeah. you were talking before about food, we're all trying to compensate for the fact it shouldn't be so hard and stressful to live on this planet to begin with, right? So that quieting of the mind and the practice. Now, I know from my own experience, I have a different nervous system in the morning if I've done my exercise versus if I haven't. Just like you take a shower, you take a bath, you want to cleanse your body of yesterday's dirt, you do your meditative prayer, mindfulness, whatever your path is in the morning to clear your mind of yesterday's stress. And in today's world, you're picking up yeah. the stress of everybody in Jackson, Mississippi. You're picking up the stress of everybody in Ukraine. It's not just your own. 
And so we're also inundated. And the, both in Judaism and in Christianity, there's a term called the small, still voice within. So the voice of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, is there in all of us. But the world is so loud and the thinking of the ego is screaming so that we can't, we have to cultivate the ability to develop our inner listening. Otherwise, we're, we're just at the effect of all this chaos. So we do that, whatever our path is, but it always involves training the mind to think along the lines of the true self. Mine this morning was I placed the future in the hands of God. That's an example of thinking that is 180 mm. degrees away from the thinking of the ego. The ego mind is, I got to plan the future. The thinking of spirit is, no, if I live fully in the present, the future will take care of itself. Mm. I place it in the hands of God. Doing those muscles, you're countering, you're countering gravity. And that's how you begin. This reminds me, I was telling my team, Madison, who's on the call, who helped us put together um, this podcast, I told her, you know, I keep a return to love by my bedside. Oh, thank you. I have for years. And I've obviously read it cover to cover many times, but at this point in my life, I have two small children. I don't read as much as I'd like. So I'll just occasionally open it to random pages and just trust that that's what I was supposed to read that day. And I was telling them, I almost always open it to the relationship chapter. And then the other chapter that I always open it to is the heaven chapter. Mm. And I, I might butcher the quote a little bit, so forgive me, but I know it's something about like heaven is something that you choose. Yeah, heaven and, is, the line is heaven is a decision I must make. Yes, exactly. And I feel like this is what you're talking about. These are these are the workouts that we do. So those decisions become that much more a part of us, or rather we get to kind of, we have the, the grace to make those decisions instead of the noise of what you're talking about. You know, when you use that term, so just take that sentence alone, heaven is a decision I must make. The Course in Miracles says, heaven is not a condition or a place. It's an awareness of our oneness. So heaven is a decision I must make means in Course in Miracles terms, every single moment in every interaction with any human being, I am either remembering or choosing consciously or unconsciously not to remember that I am one with that person. What I give to that person, I'm receiving. If I'm judging that person, I'm judging myself. So once again, it's that workout of developing those muscles by which we try to see the world in a different way. By the way, as honored as I am that you keep the course, you keep return to love by your bedside. Has it ever taken you to picking up the course itself? You know, it has. I have it and I've picked it up. I just, I haven't done the daily exercises, but I will after this podcast. Like I'm feeling it. It's you've been on our kind of wish list to have on the podcast for so long, and you've had such a monumental impact on my life. And I misquote you probably, but I quote you all the time in press and things like that. And yeah, it's this interesting kind of redirect. What you're even talking about right now is like going back to the work instead of just the little reminders. It's like actually doing the work. Yeah, you know, we're living at a point on the planet, even the conversation we were having before we came on, we're all now at a point where 
we're having to ask the next set of questions. The next, the, yeah, the next set of questions. And in terms of doing the work, yeah. I mean, if it was as simple as just knowing the principles, I would be an enlightened master by now. Mm-hmm. It's the daily work. It's just like physical exercise. You never get to get to the point where you look in the mirror and you say, my body looks hot. I don't have to exercise anymore. Ever again. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. right. if you stop, it's just, you know, it will all go back to where nature was taking it. Mm-hmm. When I talked before that, before I read The Course in Miracles, I'd read such great stuff. And I'm not saying this information wasn't there, but I had not gotten it. And that's that the key is other people. Mm. I thought you could find God. I was still under the illusion that you could find God separate from your relationship with other people. And that's Mm -hmm. the radicalism at the core of The Course in Miracles. Really, and when you were saying, Whitney, how do you help people or whatever? You know, there's certain things that are really transformational in your life. Before you go into a meeting, blast the room with love before you get there. Before you go on a date, before you go on a business meeting, you wake up in the morning, send love to your colleagues, send love to your employers, send love to your employees, send love to who's going to be your clients, send love to the politicians that you like, send love to the politicians you don't like. You spend even five minutes in the morning using your mind. That's the thing. The Course says we are not using our minds for the purpose that the mind was created. The mind was created to be a conduit for extending love. And when we don't, we can't be happy. And then, you know, when you just know that, or or when you're having a problem with someone, you know, I was saying to someone earlier today, she's going through a difficult divorce. I said, pray for his happiness every day for five minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that radically transforms. I say to people all the time, pray for their happiness for five minutes a day for 30 days. And at the end of that time, one of two things is going to happen. Either they will on some level change, or you won't care. Mm. But by your thinking differently about someone else, you're really affecting yourself. And now for a quick break, we wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about one of our newest Sakara products, the Foundation, which is a packet of your daily essential supplements all sakarified, so to speak, meaning completely clean, plant-based, bioavailable, and coming from whole food sources. Lots of times people think that supplements are just pills that you take, but really you should use the same level of scrutiny and standards that you would for your food. So these supplements are not only incredibly effective, but also incredibly clean After taking them just for a couple weeks, you'll feel increased energy, better digestion, more restful, deep sleep, brain clarity, and boosted immunity. And we like to think of this as our nutritional insurance. So yes, first and foremost, you want to get your nutrients from the foods that you eat every single day. But if you are a Sakharalite, which we know you are since you're listening, you know that we believe in eating clean and playing dirty, that None of us are perfect, nor would we want to be. Sometimes life gets in the way. And even though I get Saqqara food delivered to me every week, some weeks I just don't eat as well as I wish I I could have. And so this is a great way to make sure you're getting all of the essential nutrients you need to feel and look your best. 
And for all of you Sakara Lights out there right now, we're gifting you $15 to use towards your first purchase of the foundation. Just use podcast15 at checkout on sakara.com. And we put a lot of love and work into creating these supplements over the past three years at least. So we hope that you love them just as much as we do. Enjoy. Let's get back to the episode. Either for good or for bad, the Course says an idea does not leave its source. Yeah, in in Buddhism, I think they say that the best way to get something for yourself is to wish it for other people and to celebrate others who have that thing. Exactly, because the Course of Miracles says there's a line, of course, where it says generosity is an act of self-interest. Because the point is, we are other people. It's like we started at the beginning. We have the same mission everybody else does. The ego mind is this idea, I'm separate. My life is different. No, your life actually isn't different. And other people on the physical level are over there and you're over here. But on a mental level, which is the spiritual level, there's no place where you stop and I start. So only what you wish for in the life of someone else are you attracting into your own life. Yeah, when I was going through a my journey with terrible cystic acne on my face. I talk about how what really helped me was actually my spiritual skincare, which was when I stopped looking at it in the mirror, wishing that it was different every day. And I stopped and I started putting myself into service for others. And I focused all of my time and attention on, you know, into Saqqara and to helping others transform their body and their health into looking for ways to volunteer and stopped just focusing on myself and what I didn't like about myself and living in that dislike. I would love your opinions and thoughts around that. How many years were you experiencing that? Ooh, over a decade. What age? Probably like 11 to 24. And what Enabled it on a physical level to clear out. Sakara. You found a medicine food. or something. Food. I and tried food. all the. I tried all the medicines. I did antibiotics, Accutane, you name it. I tried it, and it wasn't until Sakara. Wow. Yeah, healing my gut, healing so, my nutrition. So you went all those years, not knowing you were beautiful. I mean, that must have just been. Wow, I hope you do you write about that also. I mean, you could, you might want to think about that. Think of all the teenagers that would help. That I really admire that you emerge from that. And also to, and once again, food. Yeah, Danielle I've heard has. Mark, Mark Hyman say that. Yeah, Danielle has her own journey around food and her body and, you know, being a chronic dieter since the age of nine. And, finding healing through food as well. And that was what put us on this mission to help others. Are you vegetarians or vegans? No. We No, we just we we base our diet on plants, meaning most of our diet is plants, but there's really no like no list. Was there a particular in terms of the acne, was there a particular food that is it either a problem or a good or was it just learning to live a healthy food life? Um it was about shifting away from this idea that there was one thing out there, one food or one one specific thing, and it was really shifting into a nourishment 
lifestyle, getting enough leafy greens into my body, enough brightly colored vegetables, really deeply nourishing my body and my gut. And so that's what we what we give to people with Sakara is this same nutrition that healed both of us and has have healed thousands of people now. But really, like we said, it's not about a no list, but you are what you do the majority of the time. I remember many years ago when I was young and everybody was saying you are what you eat. And it was such a radical concept when it first sort of, you know, came onto the scene. Yeah, Whitney and I are from Sedona, Arizona. So that concept was like, <laughs> it was it was around, I think Sedona is like 20 years ahead of kind of normal okay. new age yeah. culture. So we were fortunate to have that growing up. Beautiful. Beautiful mission, as you would say. Yeah, I mean, this really changed our lives and food is definitely the foundation. But what we also infuse in our mission is is that it's the multitude of how we show up, that how we approach our plate is how we approach life. That, you know, when I was a chronic dieter, I had wrapped up my worth with how I looked and thought that, you know, the more I disappeared, the thinner I got, the, the, the more worthy I was. And I had to unlearn that and learn that and one of your quotes, which I apologize, I will butcher again, but <laughs> it resonates and it's true in my heart, however it comes out. But, you know, it's that our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Exactly. And I feel like Whitney and I, you know, we've known each other since we were little kids. And I think we learned that together, that our, our the light that we could bring together was our greatest gift and so we got to put aside our neuroses and, and I'm sure we have many more to work through, but we got to put aside those, those, those kind of neuroses that we had around our bodies and how we looked and how we showed up and really got to find ourselves in how, how much we could fill our cups, that that was the goal, that it was, that was the way, you know, we showed up with, by shining our brightest lights. And my, my earlier question to you about how do you define God? Um, and how I had to, had to unlearn it from kind of my religious background. I feel like one of the reasons I often open up to the relationship page is because that reminder that we cannot be holy in solitude, that it is those moments where we have the honor of meeting someone those are the times we get to practice like being in heaven. We get to practice shining our light and that, you know, it's in service of that relationship and that that allows me, as you said earlier, that the act of generosity is, I forget the word you used, but it's, it's ultimately looking out for myself. It's how I survive. It's how we all survive is in service of one another. And I've read a study recently that said that if people are in solitude for over 10 to 12 days, their brain actually starts to atrophy. It's like you actually lose the ability to connect to heaven, to connect to your, to your oneness, that our oneness and our power and our spiritual selves are constantly in negotiation with everyone in the world. The ego mind is the false belief that we are separate. The spirit knows that I'm not separate from you. The Course says you are like sunbeams thinking you're separate from other sunbeams, but you can't be. You're like waves in the ocean thinking you're separate from other waves. But there's really no place where one wave stops and another starts. 
But psychologically, if I'm one wave in the ocean thinking I'm separate from the others, how could I not live in constant terror that I will be overwhelmed and annihilated by, a, by another wave? So the soul knows that I'm not separate from you. And my soul can only be comfortable when in, in an experience of that namaste consciousness where I'm saluting the love in you. The love in me salutes the love in you. If you go around, if you do this for two minutes a day, just looking into the face of people and silently saying to yourself, the love in me salutes the love in you. The love in me salutes the love in you. I defy you to do that for two minutes a day and not be happy. Now, you were talking before about, of course, we still have our neuroses. Of course, we have still things that we're working on. However, love is to fear what light is to darkness. When we're standing in service and being who we are, those neuroses are gone. It's really like when the when the crucified body was in the cave and the women went to get it and the angel said, he's risen, he's gone. That old person, the person that you were, Whitney, when you talked about the drama, that doesn't, that person doesn't exist anymore. That was a fractal of personality living at the effect of a worldly trauma. That's not who the, you know, the course would say the Christ in you cannot be crucified. The, the real you is liberated. And so many times, I think, in today's world, we try to, you can't analyze darkness. You can't get rid of darkness by hitting it with a baseball bat. You turn on the light and the darkness is gone. We try to analyze our neuroses and analyze our, our problems when really that problem is a result of your thinking you're someone that you're not. So like you said, Sakara, the podcast, the relationship, trying to live this stuff, in those moments when you're living it, the other stuff can't be there. And I think sometimes, even in the higher consciousness community, yes, we all have to own our shadows. But right now, I think the deeper need is to own our light. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we own our shadow. We're spending so much time indulging on what's wrong rather than on, or, or in saying, as you could say, if you didn't know what you know, oh, I'll do Sakara when I've worked through this other stuff. Mm -hmm. But by doing Sakara, that other stuff begins to fall away. Yeah, there's so many analogies to this, right? Especially in conventional medicine, it's like germ theory. It's like the idea that we can get rid of bad bacteria by pounding the body with antibiotics, which of course are sometimes necessary. But what studies are actually beginning to show is that if you crowd out with good bacteria, that it's not only more effective in the short term, it's much better for the organism in the long term as well. And I feel like that's what you're saying. It's like, the more we crowd out the bad with good, the less the bad is bad. Absolutely, because where there's light, there can't be darkness. Where there's love, there can't be fear. You know, and it's, it's not a surprise that the ego mocks the search for the light. The ego is okay with instant an, uh, endless analysis of the darkness. They call that sophisticated mental health. Let's just talk about what's wrong all the time. Let's talk about the trauma all the time. But that's because the ego loves to talk about itself. But when you're <laughs> claiming the light, you're claiming something that is in you, but not of you. And that's why when you said, who is God? That's the love inside us. And it's no, the Course in Miracles says, all of the children of God are special and none of the children of God are special. The way I think about it is, the way I think of the universe is like a house wired for electricity. God's not, God's the electricity. That divine light is the electricity. 
we're just lamps and it doesn't matter the shape of the lamp or the form of the lamp or the age of the lamp or the design of the lamp or the color of the lamp. What matters is that it's plugged in. And when it's plugged in with every thought of forgiveness, every thought of blessing rather than blame, every thought of living fully in the present rather than obsessing about the past or future, every moment we're thinking about what we can give rather than what we can get, that's moving through us. I say to people all the time, I say, you're the faucet, you're not the water. Just mm -hmm. making ourselves available like you make yourself available in the podcast. And you know, like when you were talking about Winnie, I was just thinking, you know, I just was thinking about some teenage girl in the midst of all that who can't even imagine that there's a life for her because particularly for a woman, I think for a man too, but particularly for a woman looking in the mirror every day and being confronted by such ammunition for self-hatred and self-derision and that someone like you could stand here and say, this ended for me, that horror ended for me, that can end for you. That, that's the peak right there. It's beautiful Thank what you. we're given the opportunity to do. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know, what would you say to somebody that's struggling still with themselves and with their own self-dislike when they're standing in the mirror and not liking their reflection? You know, I wrote a book called um, A Course in Weight Loss. And when that book came out, I did uh, seminars with people dealing with serious weight issues. And it was, I had so much admiration for those people. Because there are people who are addicted to drugs, there are people who are addicted to alcohol, there are people who are addicted to relationships. But if you're addicted to food, you're reminded of it every single day, and so is everyone else. Mm -hmm. And the courage and the character and the power and the strength it takes to move forward, despite the fact that the mirror isn't showing it to you yet. I'm sure that when you made your, made your transformation in this area, it didn't happen overnight, mm -hmm. right? Took time. But you, right. And you, and that's such an important part of the story. But the more it goes back to building your faith on the light, you either have faith. Faith is an aspect of consciousness. There's no such thing as a faithless person. Faith is an aspect of consciousness. You either have faith in the power of the disaster or you have faith in the power of something bigger than you to heal it. Call it God, call it source, call it love, whatever you call it, you build your faith. That, that's why at the end of the Lord's Prayer, thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. There's your ultimate uh, affirmation right there. Mm. That this and, and what the Course or any serious spiritual path teaches you is that the body is just a suit of clothes. And the Course says that enlightenment is a shift in self-perception from body identification to spirit identification. The ego, because the ego tells us you are your body, we over-identify with the body, the Course says, and that puts a stress on the body the body was not meant to carry, and that is the cause of sickness. So the Course says the body heals while we're not looking at it. So the answer to your question is that when you meditate, your mindfulness practice, meditation, whatever, you're actually lifting your consciousness above the body. The body itself becomes lighter. The body itself can relax the body isn't meant to be over-identified with the way mm. we do. That causes perverse perceptions of the body, perverse behavior around the body. But as you lift off and lift up, and probably we all look in the mirror too much anyway. 
Agreed. Too many mirrors, <laughs> too many cameras, too many selfies, too many Zoom meetings. Yeah, we see ourselves all the time. I know we only have a few minutes left, and I want to ask you about two questions. One is, is the ultimate kind of goal then to completely separate from my ego, to not have one at all? And then can you talk about death and not ego death, but like physical death? And that's it. I'm going to leave that to you. Okay, but ego death is a good conversation too. First of all, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about the way we're using, let's talk about how we're using the word here. I mean, I had a therapist for many years who talked about the positive ego and the negative ego. So mm. we should be clear how we're using it because a lot of people would say, but wait a minute, my ego helps me. So let's just talk about how the word is being used because there's a semantic difference. So the way the Course is using the word ego is the way the ancient Greeks used it, the notion of the small separated self. Mm. So a false belief about oneself. And it hides from us the remembrance of who we truly are. So yes, enlightenment is an ego death, actually. It, it, the Course in Miracles says, you think without the ego, all would be chaos. But I assure you, without the ego, all would be love. Mm -hmm. When we live for one another, in any situation seeking to be there for one another, then you literally, in that moment, it, it's an egoless moment. We've all had egoless moments. You were mentioning you have children, Danielle. Didn't mm -hmm. I hear you say we you have babies? Do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whitney, do you have children? Mm -hmm. When we hold our babies, we have those egoless moments. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. So it's just about getting to the point where that becomes the rule rather than the exception. Yeah. Now, I, total enlightenment will be when we get to the point where there's never any deviation from that which will be when we have grown to the to our capacity to love everyone we even think of as much as we love our babies. So the Course says you're not perfect or you would not be here. But then it says, but it is your mission to become perfect here. And that gets back to what I said. I think we're living at a time on the planet where, you know, the way I look at the whole higher consciousness community, I think given that where I started 40 years, almost 40 years ago, we were all just hoping to get out of the gutter of our neuroses and traumas and addictions and just live a decent day. Now, there's so many people really living, this is pretty good, right? But my sense now is, okay, everybody, we need to step it up. Mm -hmm. Just step it up because we all have that place where we know. And I, and I think a lot of that, to be honest, uh, what I see in my life and the lives of many people around me, the issue now is courage. Mm -hmm. We all know the data. We've all read the same books now. We've all listened to the same tapes. Both of you, just from the things that you've said, have already transcended a lot of the issues that held you back. Now, what is the next calling? What is mm -hmm. the next calling? And then you move into things like the fact that you and I are doing what we're doing right now. And, you know, we, the mind really opens to if I have been able to see this much transformation in my life. How might I be used to help transform the world? Mm -hmm. Because even like we were talking about before about food, good luck with all that green juice when they're poisoning the food, they're poisoning the water, they're poisoning the air. Yeah. And, and I think we have to look at that the same way we look at our own personal issues. You know, we will find the strength and the guidance within ourselves to that which we are called to do. You know, every cell in the body is assigned. You're assigned to the bones, you're assigned to the pancreas, you're assigned to the lungs, right? 
And then once the cell gets to where it is assigned, its highest actualization is that it collaborates with other cells to support the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which it's part, right? Mm -hmm. So when a cell disconnects from its collaborative function, that's what cancer is. And that's a malignancy in consciousness, just like it's a malignancy in the body. So what's happened to the human race is that we have been infected by a malignant consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that malignant consciousness is the thought that it's all about me. That's what the cancer cell is. It's the cell that is, thinks it's all about me. No, it's not all about you. It's how you work with, in collaboration with other cells, right? The cell that thinks it's all about me and brings around it other similarly malformed cells is what is the tumor. So one of the things that fascinates me now is that the Course in Miracles says God has an answer to every problem the moment the problem occurs. The body can take a lot of injury and assault and sickness as long as the immune system is active. And the psyche can take a lot of heartbreak and trauma as long as the mental health, you know, the, the basic psyche is healthy. And I think we're all immune cells now. You, you're assigned to food. You, you're assigned to science. You, you're assigned to whatever. So we're all carrying out this is where this cell has been assigned to go and look how like in your case Whitney how interesting it is that often our assignment is to give in an area where we ourselves were wounded because it becomes our sacred wound but I continue to believe and I particularly believe as women particularly as women in western democracies like we are as women of privilege compared to the vast majority of people on this planet I feel that the fact that we've seen these miracles in our own lives gives us conviction and that the next phase of things on the planet is in ways none of us can even imagine now. You know, somebody, I was listening to some Bible people and they were talking about, you know, the end times. And there was this minister who said, let's not forget though, the end times are also the times of signs and wonders. And what's ending in many ways is what has to end. One world is passing away. Another world is struggling to be born. You know, that's what's happening right now. And in any time you have a time in history where one era passes away and gives birth to another, there's trauma and tumult and chaos. So it seems to me now everybody's in a place where we're having to make a decision. Are you going to live at the effect of the chaos? Or are you going to surrender and dedicate yourself to be used as a transformer of the chaos? And Sakara is one example. If somebody writes a book, somebody teaches a class, somebody has a relationship, somebody has a child, whatever that form. But I think that it's like the immune system. These cells are being sent to the wounds. And I think all of us can think of ourselves as immune cells right now being used for the purpose of healing the world. Beautiful and sad. Last question. Are you afraid of death? I'm like most people I know. I'm not afraid of death, but I'm afraid of dying. So the Course in Miracles says birth is not the beginning of life, but a continuation of life. And death is not an end of life, but a continuation of life. I believe that the body is just a suit of clothes. So if you say, are you afraid of death? No. But am I on a human level afraid of being murdered, dying in a fire, you know, the different ways that we know people. Then, of course, I'm, I'm not beyond fear of certain ways I could die, but the concept I'm fine with. Uh, Carl Jung said that failure to deal with the topic of life 
robs the second half of life of its meaning. And at, and at my age, dealing with it and recognizing that at this phase, there is a level of cleaning up the, the campsite and that that's okay it, because nothing ends. I'm, on that level, I find it almost exciting, this continuum. Mm-hmm. Well, you're amazing. And you guys are amazing. I had really high expectations and you are above and beyond anything. Thank you so much for all well, the work that you, you do and the light that you bring. Well, thank you. Right back at you. I'm, I'm glad that I had an opportunity to hear a little more about what it is that you do. And it's really beautiful. And I uh, was moved and I wish you the best, both of you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for having Marian. me. Thank Bye. you. Yeah, I'm just trying to process some of the things that she said. I think that episode is going to be one that we'll have to go back and listen to again. Yeah. Yeah. I already feel like I want to read her book again. (laughs) I mean, you just, it's amazing how quickly you forget that you forget all the things that you feel. Well, I won't speak for others, but that I feel when I read her words that they just are true. Mm. And I guess they're the, you know, of course in miracle words, but it resonates with such truth and it astounds me how quickly I can forget truth. Right. That's why you have to go back to the gym, right? Exactly. I have to do the workout. And it's yeah. just like food. It's like you have to eat well a lot of the time, not just like once a year. Right. Otherwise you forget. Your body forgets. Yeah. I know so many great reminders in here. Um a reminder that you are the lamp, but you're also the light that, you know, I thought it was fascinating that she talked about how we overanalyze our bodies and that they, they aren't set up for that level of analysis and criticism and, you know, like these mirrors and these computers and our selfies and all of these things are new technologies. I mean, mirrors have been around, but, you know, not, we haven't been at this level of um, just seeing self-critique. Yeah. Seeing ourselves so much all the time, Mm -hmm. all day. Right. I mean, if you're working on Zoom, you're seeing yourself all day long. Yeah. And you're so judged by your physical self these days because of all of what you're talking about. Right. I don't know. It makes me think about doing like a something just covering up all of the mirrors, covering up, you know, doing camera off on Zoom, just seeing what does it feel like if if that wasn't a worry. Um, you know, something that I've been talking about with Hillary, one of our Sakara copywriters uh last week was this thought that what what if our bodies were exactly how they need to be, exactly how they're supposed to be in order for us to fully actualize our love, as Marion was saying, to fully, to learn the lessons that we need to learn on this planet, to share the gifts that we ha- have, our special gifts with the world, that this physical body is exactly how it's supposed to be. Like, would we treat it differently? Would we speak to it differently? 
Like, what if it... Would we nourish it instead of deprive it? Yeah, wouldn't you want to take care of it the best that you could? Like, if it if it is your vessel for you to achieve the things in life that you want to achieve, that your heart desires for you and for the planet, for your other the other people here, for you to share your love, like, wouldn't you want to take care of this vessel? Like, the best way possible? Wouldn't you want to share it, show it the love that you want to feel? I think that's, yeah, that's the whole point. That's what, you know, they don't teach you in diet culture. (laughs) They teach you that your body is something to fix. And, yeah. And so I spent most of my life trying to fix it until I was like, oh, I have to take care of it, not fix it. That was a big aha moment. Yeah. And then I think just thinking about, you know, what we talked about earlier with like, it can be hard or it can be easy. It can take a long time or it can be super fast. It can be a blink of an eye. Yeah. That you can make a change. You can decide to love yourself. You can decide that your skin doesn't matter. Your size doesn't matter. That whatever it is that that is not who you are. The shape of your lamp is not who you are. Yeah. You're the light. You're the light. Yeah. I think even just being in this work of, you know, running Sakara for this long, it reminds me of that. It's like our job, I feel like, is constantly to remind people that they are worthy of nourishment. And I feel like you have to resonate with the light in you before you even realize you should nourish. It's like you have to recognize how worthy you are. What did you it can't for really... you? Oh, for me personally? Yeah. Like you went was... through years of, you know. I think it was practice. It was like what she's talking about. It was like going to the gym. I mean, I obviously still have insecurities that I'm working through and so many, you know, things to work through. But the big one of getting out of that diet brain... I think it was a couple things. It was going to the gym, like food wise, like starting to try and eat more nourishing foods. And then I feel like that did something to my brain biologically, or like maybe I got nutrients that I didn't have enough of when I had spent years depriving myself. And then it's motivating, right? It's like the better you start to feel, the more you want to do the things that made you feel good. And the more you go to the gym and you see and feel results, like whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, the more you want to keep going. And then, you know, we talk about the pendulum swinging and it swings, but at least if you know how you, what are the things that remind you of your light? Like if you can come back to those, right? it's what really helps keep me on my path. So for you, it was crowding out the darkness with the light. It's funny, like how spot on she was I know. with that, right? The, the way sure. to get there is by doing, taking the actions and like, and the good actions. And it's like what you talk about too, how, what everyone told you like to stay away from chocolate and pizza. It's like, what? It's like, that's such a focus on, you know, not that pizza and chocolate is darkness, but, you know, quote darkness of like, those are the bad things. When in fact it was focusing on what 
you could eat and what you should eat to nourish Mm -hmm. and not the focus on what not to eat. That's such a, a theme in so many places in our lives. Crowd out the bad with the good. Don't try yeah, and like. Absolutely. This was such a good reminder. Um, One other quote from her that we didn't get to talk about in the podcast today was, we're either walking in the direction of love or in the direction of fear. And I don't know, I just keep thinking about that, that it's something we can ask ourselves every day. Am I making these decisions because of fear? Am I making these decisions because of love? Am I surrendering to the universe and and being of service to the universe and, and that path where miracles are? Or am I standing in my fear? Because the world is going to continue to move and to flow and to grow and change and evolve and whether we want it to or not. And we can stand and we can like grip things with our knuckles, but, you know, or we can choose to trust and walk in love and let life flow through us. Um, And it's just something that's been on my mind now. And I, I love that quote from her just recognizing in that moment are we are we standing in fear or are we standing in love yeah heaven is something we choose at every moment mm-hmm. so many good reminders here i'm excited for this episode to come out for so many people to hear it you know we'll have to have her back absolutely beautiful Today, we're getting back to the basics of Saqqara, and so we wanted to share a bit about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experienced through the power of food as medicine. This program is based on the science behind a whole food, plant-rich diet and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. If you're interested in learning more about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program, head to saqqara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com. And for a limited time, we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation So use the code PODCAST20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of Saqqara Life. I think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us, whether you're a busy professional or a mom. I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world. 